If you had to choose one moment in Mormon history where ordinary people stood the tallest, or had to choose a single moment as the finest hour of the Latter-day Saints, you may well decide that it was the rescue of the 1856 handcart companies. Today, we'll consider one day of that rescue, the Martin Company's crossing of the Sweetwater River on November 4, 1856. I'm Nate Olson, and this is Adventures in Mormon History. The Martin Handcart Company was one of several to cross in 1856. It was made up of European converts to Mormonism. Most were too poor to afford wagons or teams, and so Brigham Young had come up with the cost-saving idea that they could pull handcarts from Florence, Nebraska to Salt Lake City. The plan was that these handcart emigrants would be resupplied at regular intervals throughout the journey. However, through a catastrophic failure of communication and planning, roughly 900 emigrants of all ages found themselves starving and freezing to death on the Wyoming Plains. Many would die, and many would be maimed and crippled by frostbite. But in reaction to news of the stranded emigrants, Brigham Young directed a Herculean rescue effort, calling for volunteers, teams, wagons, and life-saving supplies. On the 5th of October, 1856, he directed, Go and bring those people in who are now on the plains. And within 24 hours, the advanced rescue party, led by George D. Grant, was on the path to meet the stranded emigrants. They found the Martin Company on October the 28th and they were in terrible shape, Grant reported to Brigham Young. Not more than a third of Brother Martin's company is able to walk. Though you may think this extravagant, it is nevertheless true. But every day, more of the handcart emigrants would succumb to starvation and exposure, and so he decided that their best hope was to push forward and onto a rocky enclave that would come to be known as Martin's Cove, that would give them some protection from the howling wind and plenty of firewood. But to get to Martin's Cove, the Martin Company had to cross the Sweetwater River. The river ran about three feet deep and about 30 to 40 feet across. The temperature was six degrees below zero, and large, sharp cakes of ice floated down the surface of the water. Now, the river at the crossing point was not especially wide, but the problem was the emigrants could not ford it in a straight line. They had to enter the water at a low point, walk downstream approximately 50 yards, and then get out at another low spot. John Jakes, a survivor of the Martin Company, described it this way. It was easy enough to go into the river, but not so easy to pull across it and get out again. Not so easy indeed. For many people in the Martin Company, this last crossing of the Sweetwater was nothing short of harrowing. For at least the past month, many of the emigrants were suffering from a state of prolonged malnourishment, starvation. Also fresh in their memory was the 19th of October when they had forded the Platte River. Without enough money to use the bridge, the emigrants plunged into the river and pulled their handcarts across. But as they came out of the water, soaking wet, and then it struck full bore, a terrific blizzard. 
complete with snow, hail, sleet, and piercing wind. Historian and infantry officer Howard Christie estimated from the account of John Jakes that wind chill conditions were somewhere between 50 and 70 degrees below zero. Over the next few days, many members of the Martin Company would succumb to the combined effects of hypothermia, starvation, and exhaustion. The other crossings that the handcart companies had made of the serpentine Sweetwater had left a devastating effect. Survivor John Chislett described the chill which the river sent through our systems left a void of sadness and in some cases doubts as to the justice of an overruling providence. But none of their previous crossings were as harrowing as what they now faced. As they stared out across the icy water, the handcart emigrants already freezing and facing a steep climb to Martin's Cove. Christie calculated that the windchill effect on this day was somewhere in the neighborhood of 65 degrees below zero. The prospect of wading across this water was more than some could bear. Many reached the breaking point, and men broke down in tears. But in the middle of this crisis, a small number of 18 rescuers from the Salt Lake Valley, members of Grant's advanced rescue party, performed a heroic and memorable service. They carried across the river those who were too weak to cross themselves, and they helped others pull their handcarts through the water. And back and forth, time and again, they braved the freezing water, the sharp slabs of ice, and the piercing wind. One of the Martin Company emigrants, Patience Loader, a 29-year-old English convert, recalled how she came to this final crossing. She wrote, I was feeling somewhat bad that morning, and when I saw this stream of water we had to go through, I felt weak and could not keep my tears back. I felt ashamed to let the brethren, that is the rescuers, see me shedding tears. I pulled my old bonnet over my face as they should not see my tears. But one of the rescuers came to her aid, taking the handcart from her and pulling it into the water and downstream to the exit. Another rescuer took the 29-year-old Patience on his back, telling her that you should not be made to wade through the cold water anymore. Patience recorded that these rescuers were in the water nearly all day. Then her mother, Anne Britnell Loader, came to the bank of the river. She was too weak to ford through the icy water, and one of the rescuers, likely the 17-year-old David P. Kimball, began carrying her across. She was deeply moved by the young Kimball's brave act of sacrifice and said to him, God bless you for taking me over this water and in such an awful rough way. Kimball, by this point, was in all likelihood suffering from hypothermia. Not that David P. would go as far as Mark Twain, who reportedly said that, Profanity is more necessary to me than is immunity from colds. But both of them suffered from the same habit, and through chattering teeth, and much to the surprise of the pious Amy Loader, David P. let burst a short torrent of profanity. When this was over, he explained to the thoroughly shocked Amy Loader, uh, I don't want any of that. You are welcome. We, we have come to help you. He reached the far side of the river, safely put Amy Loader on the bank, and immediately plunged back into the ice and began wading upstream. Amy Loader turned to her daughter and asked, What do you think of that man? He's a rough fellow. 
patient said, I am told that they are all good men, but I dare say they are rather rough in their manners. Patience and Amy Loader had hit on the truth. Many of these rescuers of the advance party were, in fact, rough in their manners. They were soldiers and scouts. They were frontiersmen and mountain men. Some of them had the occasional run-in with the law. See Alan Huntington, one of the rescuers who ferried emigrants up and down the river. After the rescue, he would have to serve a sentence in prison for cattle wrestling. He also had a large scar on the back of his head that he said was from a knife fight. When asked about what happened in this knife fight, he replied in a 19th century variant of, Yeah, well, you should see the other guy. George Grant, the leader of the rescue, would later draw the ire of some in Salt Lake City for an apparent penchant towards hard drinking and street fighting. One bitter and anonymous neighbor wrote to church leaders that George Grant, quote, loves whiskey as dearly as ever the child loves its mother's milk. So the Loader sisters were right. The men who answered Brigham Young's call to go and bring those people in who are now on the plains, they were rough men. In a way, they had to be, to persevere in the face of blizzards, storm, wind, and ice. They were rough men for a rough job. But as the loaders found, under the rough exterior, men like David Kimball had hearts of gold and performed a service that freezing day in November that, to this day, has not been forgotten. Thank you for joining us on Adventures in Mormon History, We'd like to especially thank Professor Kathleen Flake, Department Chair of Mormon Studies at the University of Virginia, for her very kind Facebook post about our podcast yesterday. Please check out Scholars and Saints, the University of Virginia Mormon Studies podcast, available on iTunes. I'm your host, Nate Olson.